0: Good evening, and welcome to uh, this evening's lecture. The lecture falls within the Ralph Miliband series this year called The Future of Global Capitalism. There'll be some ten or almost a dozen, I think a dozen, lectures this year throughout the next three terms, and we very much hope you will come to more than one. This evening we are especially honoured, of course, to have Dr. Justin Lin here with us, and I would like to welcome you to the LSE. We are very privileged you're here, and we're very glad you've taken time out from your incredibly busy schedule to be with us. Dr. Lin, as all of you probably know, is the World Bank's Chief Economist and Senior Vice President. He was appointed in June 2008, having previously served for 15 years as Professor and Founding Director of the China Center for Economic Research at Peking University. He is the World Bank's first chief economist from a developing country, born in Taiwan. He studied both in Taiwan and China, and he went on to become one of the first Chinese students, one of the earliest Chinese students, to study at a US university, earning his doctorate in economics from the University of Chicago in 1986. He's the author of 18 books and has published more than 100 major articles. Among his many public roles in China, Dr. Lin has served as Deputy of China's People's Congress, as Vice Chairman of the All-China Federation of Industry and Commerce. He's also been a member of many national and international committees, leading groups and councils on development policy, technology and the environment. He's he's been awarded China's top economics prize twice and has received honorary degrees from universities across the world. He will speak this evening on the... Title set out here, The Optimal Financial Structure and Economic Development. Please join with me in giving him a very warm LSE welcome.
1: Can I see this from here? It's possible that he had this screen or something. So you only show here? Okay. Well, it's quite an honor to speak in LSE, one of the best economics, political science institution in the world, and also to speak in this mini Lecture Series. Today, the world is recovering from the worst financial crisis that we encountered in our lifetime, in effect since the Great Depression. And how to prevent similar financial crisis or crises to occur in the future is one of the main concerns in the world. And so most people talk about how to improve financial regulation and so on. For that, I agree, it's important. But for developing country, how to promote economic Development, a sustained inclusive growth in the developing country. Only focus on the financial regulation may not be enough. I think financial structure in the developing country is one dimension, at least equally important as financial regulation. But so far the discussion on the areas is very minimal. And I hope tonight I can use this forum to advance my argument to you. And hope I can convince you and you will carry this argument into your professional life and to influence the world so we can have a much better futures. And when I say financial structure is important, certainly I need to build up my argument, both from the empirical evidence, as well as the theoretical argument. And I will do that first, provide some basic facts and my motivation. And secondly, I'll try to have a very quick literature review and to say why currently the economic literature in finance is not enough. Then I'll build up my theoretical hypothesis about the financial structure in different stages of development. And then I will draw some policy implications. Well, there are two very simple facts. If you look into the evolution of financial history in the world, especially in the developed countries like England or Germany or U.S. or Japan, you will find some kind of facts. When the economy becomes more developed than the equity market, stock market become more important in their financial system. For example, in the literature sometimes we say the US and a British market-based system, Japan and a Germany bank-based system. But if you look, Japan, Germany, US, Britain today, equity market, stock market are the major part of their financial system. And they evolve. That's one status effect. The second status effect is that if you go to any country, no matter if it's developed or developing, for the small business, small operator in agricultural sectors, or in manufacturing sectors, or in service sectors. In general, those kind of small business, small operators, they do not have access to the lending services from large banks. Certainly, they do not have access to stock market either. Those are two sides of price. I like to build on own. I think that it be reflect. I think you also agree with me. Those are the status facts we observe in the world. And then, if we look into this lecture, I like to argue what kind of financial structure is more appropriate for a country in different stages of development. My basic assumption is that country in different stage of development, their financial structure should be different. That is my basic assumption. Then I certainly need to define what do I mean financial structure because people may approach financial structure in their own way. For example, you can have informal financial institution, formal financial institution, and the competition between formal and informal certain is a structure. But here, To simplify, I want to focus on two dimensions. One is the competition, relative importance of banks and equity market, that is stock market. That's one dimension I like to focus on. The other dimension I like to focus on is the issue of large bank and small banks, and the distribution of large bank and small banks. In the economic system. Those are the two dimensions of financial structure that my lecture wants to focus on. And so far, in terms of finance, it's one of the most prominent areas of economic research. Certainly, they look into the issue of financial structure. And economists now propose basically four different views. The first one is to say, bank-based financial system is more efficient, and they propose that we need to develop bank-based system. And this kind of argument is not beyond that. If you have bank-based system, it can better solve the issue of moral hazard, because financial transaction involve information asymmetry between the capital owners and the capital user between those money who own the fund and those money who borrow the fund for use. And those kind of transaction involve some kind of information asymmetry. And so it's likely to have more hazard problems. And I think the bank will be better to solve this kind of information asymmetry to, you know, to, to, to better control the moral hazard issue. And the other view called the market-based view, they think that equity market is better. Because if you do not have too heavily on banks, banks will intervene a lot in the firm's operation and will a will replace firm's innovation. They argue it's better to have an equity market and actually market give more freedom to the firm so they will be more innovative. And we know innovation is the most important force for driving economic development, so they argue. Stock market is better. And then a third view called financial function, they say, well, it's not important to distinguish bank based over market based. It's more important to improve the financial function. And actually bank based over or market-based can serve similar function. And so to argue that is not important. And the first one is so-called legal origin view. You say, well, you have no choice. What kind of financial structure you have depends on your legal origin. Like in the common law, they give much better protection to the money owner, to the lenders, to the investors. So if you have a common law system, then the equity market will develop. But if you are in a continental law system, they don't protect the property rights so well. So under that kind of situation, they need to rely on banking system to control, to mitigate the agency model has problem. So they will develop banking system and so on. So they think that you have no choice. They determined by your legal regime. And also, the empirical evidence, sorry. So far in the literature about empirical evidence find that if you control the level of financial development, they find that in a bank-based or market-based does not seem to have much effect, significant effect on economic performance. That is the literature we have now. And in terms of discussion about the banking structure, currently, the focus is on the concentration, whether you have a monopoly system or competition competitive system. And uh, the empirical result slightly favor competition to think uh, if you have a, you know, bank competition, then performance will be better. But in the literature, there are some different arguments. They think that, if you have the monopoly in the banking sectors, then the bank will have a better incentive to you know, distinguish, to screen the lenders and so on and uh, it will be more effective. So still there's some argument there. Okay. This is the current understanding in terms of theoretical understanding and empirical evidence. But my question is that if Controlling the labor of financial development and the argument was that whether you have bank based or equity market based is inconsequential. If that is true, how can we observe the empirical status effect? When a country becomes more developed, equity market becomes more important. That's what we observe in the world. If it's inconsequential, how come we see this kind of emerging, this kind of evolution in the trend. And also about the banking structure, the focus on the concentration and competition may miss the most important observation is that. Small and medium sized operators firm, they don't get any financial services but we know that in many countries, the small and medium-sized enterprises, agricultural households, they employ maybe 70%, 80% of the labor force. They are the major channel of production, employment, and they do not get any financial services in a large banking sector system. And uh, if you only look at competition among the big bank what concentration of big bank you may miss the most important part of the service that financial system is supposed to provide <coughs> and so there is something missing and how come there is something missing some important issue has not been addressed my understanding is that currently the literature look from the surprise side. They started to analyze the function of different financial institutions. And then they tried to argue different financial institution how to perform their functions. They look from the surprise side. But we know, financial service is a derived demand to serve the real economy. But they never discuss what's the nature what's the characteristic of real the economy? They did not look at the demand side of the financial services. And saw so that they get those kind of conclusions. And today, what I want to do is that I try to treat the supply side as a given. I want to reverse everything. I want to look things from the demand side. And I'll try to argue, actually, it's the demand side characteristics, needs, determine what kind of financial structure will be more desirable. And in the long history of evolution in the financial institution, in effect, it reflect this kind of change in real side, in the demand side. And I want to elaborate My hypothesis in three steps. The first one, I try to look into the different characteristics of different financial arrangement. Bank, equity market, large bank and small bank and their characteristics. For that, I treat them as given, but I know they are different. And secondly, I like to look into the characteristic of firm. Is large or small? what kind of risk this kind of firm involved? And then the third one i like to say the production structure, the firm structure, the risk is endogenous to different stages of development. They have different industrial structure. And this kind of different industrial structure is endogenous to their endowment structure. Endowment structure is a changing evolution over time. So their industrial structure changes over time. When their industrial structure changes over time, their firm size, their risk change over time, and to serve those kind of real economy, the competition of different financial arrangements will be changing. So that's basically the logic of my argument. And let's first look at the characteristics. Well, you know, stock market and the banks. If you compare stock market and the bank, you're fine. Well, if you have the money, you want to make investment. You invest the money in the stock market compared to put the money into the bank at a deposit. What's the difference? Well, stock market will have a higher risk because if you put the money into the bank, one year from now, you're going to get your principal plus certain interest rate. In general, it's quite safe. In 99% of situation, it's very safe. And even if you have financial crisis like now, the government in general guarantees the deposit. So basically, you can see it's risk-free. But if you put your money into the stock market to buy a stock, well, only if the firm have higher profit, they will distribute dividends. And if the firm does not make profit, the firm does not distribute dividend. You don't get any pay. And not only so, if the firm goes bankrupt, the investor, stockholder, they are the digital Up to the firm pay all the debt and so on, and you are entitled to the rest. And sometimes, that was nothing. That's nothing. So it's much more risk to make investment in a stock market. That kind of institutional arrangement, certainly. To compensate for the risk, in general, you expect to have a higher return. And I'm pretty also show, compared to the fixed in you know, saving, the return on the stock market, on the average, is about seven percentage higher than put the money into the banks. So higher risk will involve higher return. And certainly because if stock market requires higher return, that means firm, if they want to raise the capital from the stock market, compared to borrow money from the bank, the firm need to pay higher cost, right? But how come the firm is willing to pay higher cost? Because to borrow money from the bank and to raise the capital from the stock market, What's the difference for the firm? Cost is higher in the stock market, but in the stock market, the firm will not face the issue of liquidation. Because if you borrow money from the banks, you need to return to the bank according to certain time period. If you do not pay back those debt, the bank can force you to go bankrupt or liquidate. But if you raise the capital from the market, there's no such a thing as stockholder force the firm to go bankrupt now. So it's safer. And again, so in a safer way, it's more costly. And a less costly is more risky for the firm. So under this kind of situation, in general, it's very hard. For the depositor, for the money, those people for the capital to say, which one is better? And for the bottle, it's also hard to say which one is better. That's one thing. Secondly, in terms of uh, stock market, once the investor gives the money to the company, they have no control. Another kind of situation to avoid some kind of moral hazard problem in general, the government will have some regulation on the stock market about the information disclosure. If you want to raise your capital in the stock market IPO, you need to go through a whole series of information disclosure and it's very expensive. And even after you raise the capital from the stock market, you also need to have periodical disclosure of information that's also very expensive. So that means that there's some kind of fixed cost involved in raising capital from stock market in addition to, you expect to pay higher cost for the capital. And so, compared to the bank, just the opposite, right? If you put the money in the bank, it's less risk. And, and, and if a firm borrows the money from the bank, in general, the cost is lower. And information cost is lower. And, but the bank also has some limitation. The bank need to return the money to the depositor in time, and so ability for the bank to bear the risk is lower. And in general, bank like to serve the bottle of which is mature; they have more history to check. That's a standard in the literature. And then compared to the large bank and the small bank, it's a status effect as I mentioned. In general, large banks serve the large customers. Small banks serve the small customer. And the final result, okay, if you are a small bank, you cannot serve the large customer. Because if you serve a large company or you know, a large, large bank, small bank, if you want to serve a large customer, just like to put all the eggs into one basket, it's a very risk for the bank. So the bank need to diversify. But certainly diversification reduces risk, but diversification increases the transaction cost. So the firm needs to balance between the transaction cost, the bank needs to in you know, a balance between transaction cost and the risk. That's one thing. And the secondly, compared to small bank and a large bank, in terms of their ability to assemble information and to handle information will also be different. In general, small banks is close to the dollar. And uh, so the bank operators, owners, they know large entrepreneurs who is good, who is bad and they can rely on those kind of soft information to judge whether they should give the long or not. large bank in general are hierarchical so those kind of personal information is very hard to transmit from the lower branch to the higher branch and the higher branch make the decision so for the large bank in general in terms of information they have different advantage in solving the information issue large bank rely on standard information and a small bank in general rely more on this kind of soft information. And then we look at the size of the firm. Certainly, firm have different size. right? And uh, for the small firm, in general, their capital requirement is small and it's not economical for them to pay high fixed cost to raise funds from equity market. And in general, small firm also hard to raise funds from the large bank for two reasons. As I mentioned, small firm in general, if they want to raise the fund from the big banks, they first deal with the branch managers. Branch manager cannot make a decision so they rely on up the labor manager to make a decision. And in that kind of situation, information transmission becomes an issue, especially smart firm in general. They don't have good bookkeeping records and so on. And also, for the large bank, if they lend all the money in a very small chunk, it increases their transaction cost. So in general, they like to deal with large borrowers so per unit money, transaction cost will be lower. So that is the reason why we do see different size of the firm. They go to different size of this bank from the transaction cost point of view. And also firm, in different size, and different stages of development, their risk may be different. In end of the risk involved firm can be classified into three different categories. One is the entrepreneurship, whether this operator is a good entrepreneur. That's one type of risk. The other type of risk is related to what kind of technology they use. New technology or old technologies. Are they involved in the innovation of new technology or just application of mature technology? And also related to what kind of product they produce they produce mature product which the market has already proved or they a new product and those kind of product has not been tested. So we talk about the risk. Basically we can divide into this kind of three risk and uh, I'll argue at a different stage of development the, the risk composition of the firm will change. Okay. Now we come to the industrial structure. We know the viability of the firm in an economy. In other lecture, in other theoretical work I prove. Basically, the viability of the firm depends on whether this firm adopts the technology, produce the good, which are consistent with the comparative advantage of the economy with the competitive advantage of the economy. For example, U.S. or U.K. today, if you want to produce garment, very labor-intensive type of product, those kind of firm cannot survive. And then if you go to Rwanda or African country, if they want to produce very high-tech product, capital-intensive product or airplane, those kind of firm cannot survive. Right? So viability of the firm very much depends on the product they produce, the technology they use, are consistent with the comparative advantage of the economy. And in early stage of development, an economy in general, are abundant in natural resources, whatever force. So their form will be viable in this kind of more labor intensive type of business. So I have a chart here to show, for example, in East Asian economy, When Japan in the early 1940s, 1950s, at that time Japan was still a relatively low-income country, so the product they produced was garment, something like that. In the 1960s, they started to produce steel. 70 popular TV, 1980s video, and now they produce high-definition TV. And now Japan is one of the highest-income countries, right? And you look into the late commerce, when Japan produce high definition TV, the late commerce, they are rich in labor force, so they produce either garment or steel which are more mature. So you can see that high income countries in general they are higher stage of development and in general that's more capital intensive, both in human capital and physical capital, and in terms of farm size firm size in general is larger. But in early stage, like a government, in general you only employ a few workers, a few tens of workers, or a few hundreds of workers. So they are more labor intensive, they don't use much capital. And also, in early stage of development, the technology used in a government is quite standard, mature technology, there's not much risk. And also product is also a mature market. So product does not have any much market risk there. But if you come to data on, for example, in the 1980s, hard definition TV was something very new. And you need to invest a lot to do the R&D in order to develop those kind of hard definition TV. And again, you do not know whether the market will accept that or not. So you have to incur both technological risk and a market risk in addition to whether the operator of the firm has good entrepreneurship or not okay and then coming to how this kind of real size story will affect the choice of different financial arrangement, financial institution well certainly we want the financial institution to be efficient what do I mean efficient the vision that you can mobilize the financial resources and allocate the financial resources to the most competitive sectors, most competitive firm in the most competitive sectors. And because I argue that in different stages of development, the most competitive firm, the industry will be different, right? In early stages might be government or agriculture. In higher stage will be high definition TV that is their most competitive sectors. And certainly you want to allocate funds into that sectors, and not only the sectors, the most efficient, the firm in the sectors. And, uh, and uh, because in early stage of the development, in early stage of development, most firms are small scale, use mature technology, produce mature products. And the only risk, the main risk is whether the entrepreneur, the operator is a good entrepreneur or not. And what kind of financial institution can allocate a small amount of capital to them and also understand whether the borrower uh trustworthy has a good entrepreneurship or not. Equity market cannot solve that issue. Big bank is too far away. And so the small local banks. The bank operator the operator on the bank and the operator they live in the same community so they know who which entrepreneur is good. So under the kind of situation, small local bank will be the most efficient financial institution to serve those kind of small guys. And when you become developed, capital requirements become larger. Small bank won't be able to provide those kind of large demand of capital, right? Otherwise, more banks will put all the eggs into one basket. So you need to have a large bank. And not only you need to have a large bank to raise more capital for them, they become more risky because they involve a lot in technology innovation. And they produce untested product, enter into the new market. So under that kind of situation, you need to have a large bank as well as equity market in order to diversify the risk. And in effect, if you look into the evolution of financial institutions in England, in Europe, in Japan, those are developed countries today. Their financial institutions evolve in this way as I just described. Okay, so let me summarize my argument. My argument is a factor endowment which a different of development will determine the optimal industrial structure. The optimal industrial structure will have an impact on the size of the firm, the capital requirement as well as the nature of the risk of the firm. And by this different financial institution will have the different ability to modernize the size of the capital. And also to relocate the risk, its ability to and so they jointly determine the optimal financial structure. If you have an optimal financial structure, which its internally determine your industrial structure, your industrial structure, internally determined by your endowment structure. If all they are consistent, then this economy will be most competitive. If they are most competitive they won't have so much homegrown crisis. crisis. And in a way, if they are influenced, they are impacted by the outside crisis because their economy are competitive and uh, they will have a much stronger external account. And internally, they are also likely to have a much stronger internal fiscal position so they can engage in counter-cyclical intervention and then their economy was much more stable and with a much more better growth performance. So that's my main argument. Now we look into the policy implication. Certainly, according to my argument, the optimal financial structure in the advanced stage of development will be indulgent to its industrial structure and endowment structure. However, in reality, certainly, there are some other factors which may have an impact on the financial choices. For example, people say UK is market-based and uh, continental Europe is bank-based. And the reason is because of the legal region is different. And uh, certainly that to some degree, it will have the impact on the choice of financial structure. However, I would like say, I like to say it's secondary because for a country with different financial, with the same financial origin, with like continental Europe, they have the legal origin, but at the beginning certainly, they may be more bank-based, but once they reach a higher level stage of development, they all move to equity market, become a larger part, important part of their financial structure. So I would say, yes, legal origin and other factors, cultural factors and so on, may have some impact, but those kind of impacts are secondary. But there's one impact I think is very important, that's the government policies, government strategies, government regulations. And uh, if the government... Have a wrong strategy, especially if the government has a strategy to develop certain sectors which go against their competitive advantages. And that will distort the financial institution from the natural spontaneous evolution. The financial institution will evolve spontaneously according to what I just described. The condition is that the economy needs to follow their competitive advantage in its development. But we know that. For the poor country today, you go to a poor country, or well, low-income country, including China and so on, basically they don't have small and medium-sized banks, local banks. It's a unique features that we observe in a developing country today. In the developed country today, you still have a lot of small banks, but if you go to a developing country, basically you cannot find small banks, local banks. And what's the reason why? It was because in the 1950s and on war most developing countries at the time adopt some kind of import substitution strategies. Try to develop heavy capital intensive modern sectors on the basis of their agrarian economy. And those kind of very capital intensive large enterprises go against their comparative advantages. So the government need to mobilize resources to support them. How to mobilize resources to support them? They need to develop big banks in order to concentrate the financial resources for those a few big enterprises. And certainly those kind of policy was very inefficient. By the time of 1980s they started to do the reform. At that time they were influenced by the dominant thinking at that time. The dominant thinking partly related to ideology and partly related to we do not pay so much attention to the structural issue, the demand side issue. So if you open your financial textbook today, they always say, well, you know, the modern financial institution is a big banks and become bigger, so they become multilateral bank, multinational banks, and then you need to develop equity market, and that is taught in the financial textbook, and everyone thinks it's modern. So in this transition process from the old distortion, people move to the other one even in a developing country. I went to Africa country, and they are so poor. They also want to, not only they develop big national banks, a few big national banks, so they can compete with multi-national, multinational banks. They also wanted to develop equity market, but the majority of the firm will farm in the country will not get any financial services. So, my concluding remark in this lecture, I try to propose for your consideration, a demand side, a real side consideration of the financial structure. In country, at different stage of development. I agree, for the high income country today, they need to have a large bank, they need to have equity market, but for developing countries today, for the low-income countries today, the core of their financial institution should be small and local banks. Should be small and local banks. Certainly, I do not go against to say a developing country you need to have a number of large banks because certainly they still have a number of large projects to serve. And they may also need to have equity market because they certainly will have firm large enough that can be served by the equity market. But what I'm arguing that should not great the importance to serve the majority of their firm, their production activity, their people involved, and that is small and local bank. And if you can do that, the economy will be much more competitive and they can provide more jobs so they will be inclusive and sustainable growth. But certainly, if you want to develop this kind of financial structure in a developing country, the regulation need to follow up. Currently, the recommendation from Barzal 1, Barzal 2, there's only one size. That is how to supervise the big banks and they go against small banks. And as so how internal regulation not only need to improve the current budget too in order to have a better regulation incentive structure for the large banks. We need to develop other regulation framework to allow this developing country They can develop small local banks and also good regulation. Thank you very much.
0: very much indeed for an incredibly clear uh, lecture beautifully set out uh, something of a model presentation um, I, I think it because of its clarity it no doubt can uh, generate a number of questions both about uh, its starting point and perhaps some of its uh, theoretical and policy implications so I would very much like to take questions now are you happy for me to take questions yeah, please. in bunches more than one maybe three,
1: three three. all right
0: we'll take three at a time yeah and uh, so I would very much like to have an indication now how many of you want to ask questions <coughs> just get a sense of this early stages hands raised you want to ask a question give me a sense okay yes okay let's start let's start with you down here the person yeah we're going to bring you a mic and then back the here's the second one perhaps you you just say who you are thank and you uh, thank you very really much Professor. brief question
1: so, in my view, um, your uh, view differs with the existing uh, literature, mainly lies on the time horizon. In long time horizon, it's true, that it is real economy determines the financial system. So, for example, in 20, 100 years ago, few countries in this world have equity markets, may only have the bank, banks, but the existing literature folks on a short time, time horizon. So the legal system and the political, political institutions do affect the financial system. So this is my mm. okay. Do you agree my comments? Thank you. Yeah. At the back. Hi. Yeah. Um, I think you might have touched on this, but I'm y- wondering you speak up just Sorry. a little bit. I yeah. Um, where debt capital markets fit in, and is it in between the dichotomy between equity markets and big banks, or is it serving the same purpose as equity capital markets? If you could elaborate on that, that would be helpful. Debt, yeah. Debt? yeah.
0: Could, you, could you just? you'll need to repeat that. Just briefly. Okay. Uh, I'm just wondering where debt capital markets okay. fit. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay, we got it. Thank you. Yeah. And the lady just to, to the side, yes. Look, just pass it straight along. Hi, thanks for your uh, wonderful speech. I have a problem because I have some uh, experience in rural area in China,
1: and I think the main problem for the do not have very uh, insufficient system, uh, bank system, is because the credit system has not well developed in this, uh, this area in some developing countries, especially China, in China. I think, uh, what do you think about this question? Thank you very much. Okay, Very good. I uh, answer so these three questions are all very good, and the first one is that I look in a long-term view, and I certainly some literature look in a short-term view, and I especially look from the angle of the developed country, and I like to look in a long-term view from the angle of the developing country that I'm in. But in the short-term view, where the legal origin is important. I think it may be important, but as I mentioned, more important is government policies. If the government policy favor big banks and suppresses the small banks, then small banks will develop and only big banks will develop. So I would say that policy dimension is even more important than the legal origin. And the policy dimension is influenced by our understanding, our literature. And so that's why I try to argue we need to look into the demand side to understand the spontaneous force in order the policy will be right. And secondly, about the bond market, the corporate bond. I think a corporate bond, yes, is a debt. In nature, it seems to be like the bank debt. But we know if a corporate want to issue corporate bonds, it has to go seamless procedure of information disclosure. So the fixed cost of issuing corporate bond is very high. And so only the large corporate can issue the corporate bond. And a small one cannot, because the information disclosure cost is too high for them to raise a small So that, you know, more close to the equity market. And then the credit system in China did not develop. Yes, that's a fact. And that's the reason why I want to give the lecture here. The reason why in many developing countries, credit system have not developed because of government policy. And why you had those kind of government policy? Because we did not understand the spontaneous nature of the system evolution. And plus, the international financial institutions, including you know, institution in my sister institution, and also even now the financial stability ball, they only try to improve the Basel II. And we know Basel II is geared for the big banks. And uh, they want everyone to follow that. If you want everyone to follow that, then the credit system in the rural area in China or in other developing countries, or not develop, because those kind of regulation bias against the small financial institution.
0: Thanks, Robert Wade. Can have the mic there?
2: Thanks. Thanks, uh, Robert Wade. You have been talking about financial structure. Yeah. I'm interested in um, what you think about the issue of. Um, interest rate policy, credit price policy, and um, in particular the issue of financial repression as it is known. And I refer you to this great dispute that existed in the World Bank uh, between uh, the World Bank and the government of Japan in the early 1990s, with the World Bank saying that the Japanese government was quite wrong to be encouraging governments in Southeast Asia to use targeted credit, subsidized credit policies as part of an industrial policy. And the Japanese government was so angry at the World Bank for its criticism that it more or less forced the World Bank to uh, embark upon the study that we know now as the East Asia Miracle Report. The impetus for that whole report was the Japanese government's anger at the World Bank for criticizing it on this issue of financial repression. Well, you're Mm. now the vice president uh, and (laughs) chief economist at the World Bank. Um, Do you think that there is a case for financial repression or subsidized credit as part of an industrial policy, or do you not? you just pass the mic along? Robert. Thank you very much, Robert Faulkner from the LSE. Very quick question: You talked about large banks and small banks, mm-hmm. and you didn't touch on micro banks, microfinance. Um, just wondering whether you saw any place for the, the very concept of microfinance in your scheme.
0: We're just going to take one more question. For me, I'm just looking at the slew of academic LSE professors here. Just this is a little, just a, a small reserve space. Any more any academic? here, um, I'm looking at them hard now just to see if they're going to raise their hands No, so alright, they lost their moment yes, gentlemen at the back, we'll come on the ne- to you the next round yes, hello um, my question I think is kind of a follow-up question to Professor Wade's question if I understood it correctly and I'm curious to, to hear what you think about capital openness whether you see it as, as a destructive force or whether you would say it supports financial development
1: Okay, also very good question. The first one, Bob, so good to see you here. And uh, regarding the controversy about the financial depression, as I mentioned, we see financial depression in many developing countries in the 1970s and before. And uh, most of those kind of financial depression was because those governments wanted to support the large capital-intensive industries and so they used financial distortion as a way to mobilize financial resources to support those kind of sectors go against their competitive advantages and under the kind of situation those kind of financial depression was very ineffective and it was a failure. Certainly for people like McKinnon and so on they identify the financial depression as a reason for their inefficiency. However they did not recognize those kind of repression. In effect, was endogenous to the needs, of support those kind of capital-intensive sectors, and that's so how they recommend financial liberalization. When they recommend financial liberalization, those kind of existing large capital-intensive firms either go bankrupt, create a lot of unemployment and social issue where well, the government will have to subsidize those inefficient you know, you know, against the comparative advantage firm with other more disguised sub- subsidies. So again, it was inefficient. And, and that 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 is the story in the 1970s, 1980s. Regarding the Japanese approach, Japan heavily relies on banking sectors. So people call Japan and Germany is bank-based. Certainly, now they develop equity market, but in the early stage, they are bank-based. And in the bank-based, Japan, the banking sector evolves spontaneously, so they have a lot of local banks. And for the most of this small and medium-sized firm in Japan or in Germany, in effect, was supported by the small local banks. And only when their economy become bigger and uh, more advanced, their firm become larger, then they consult the bank into a large bank. But sometimes they still have a lot of small banks locally to serve their small and medium-sized firm. That is Japanese case, and that is consistent with the story I described. In this process, the Japanese government, yes, has some policy to... You know, support the industrial upgrading. But if you look into the Japanese industrial upgrading, basically they follow the stage of their development, as my diagram show. In early stage, government, then they going to steel, then they going to shipbuilding, car, they going to high definition TV. And each stage is become more capital intensive, more technology intensive. But each stage they are consistent with their comparative advantages. That's one thing. And because high stage require larger capital, so they become bank become larger, or equity market become more important. In this process, the Japanese government tried to support the upgrading. But we know this kind of vertical upgrading involves information, involve externality, because it has some externality. So, to compensate for that externality, to have some kind of subsidized interest rate is arguable. I support that. I support that. But if you want to ask a developing country to use financial repression to support sectors which go against their competitive advantages, then it will be a failure. Here I can use the material dialectical approach. Quantitative difference may cause the qualitative difference. So it depends on how large is the need, you know the depression. A more small depression that might be arguable for compensation of the compensation of the externality issue. In effect, I have a debate with Hajin Chiang, I think you know him, on the industrial policies. And ha uh, Hajin basically supports you know, you need to go for the dynamical comparative advantage to support very advanced firms. And I think that is going to cause, you need to require too much intervention, restore too much, and it's going to be a guarantee for failure as in the 1950s, 1960s. And the industrial policy, i like to argue that to facilitate the development of the firm which consistent with your compared advantage. And we have an article in the September issue of Development Policy Review and also we are going to have an open policy debate at on the 15th of this month a few days so if you are interested you are welcome to attend the first one then the second issue related to the microcredit well I think microcredit certainly can serve some purpose but microcredit is too small to serve for the business operation in general microcredit can give an agricultural household a few hundred US dollars, or at best a few thousand US dollars. But that's too small for business, right? So now we have another argument for the microcredit. But again, we miss the most important one for the developing country. That is the small and medium sized bank, local bank should be the backbone of their financial institution, that part, yes, their mission. And I'd like to argue for that. And I'd like to have our help to argue for that also. And regarding the, oh, let me see, the capital openness. Capital openness. Well, that's a good question. My idea is that you need to distinguish what kind of capitals foreign direct investment, those kind of factors, capital will be more favorable for the developing country. Certainly, developing country capital skills. You need to attract capital. But you need to attract capital to use in sector which consistent with your compare advantages. Foreign direct investment, in general, they will go to a developing country to tap into their compare advantages. So that will be consistent with your with their development. And they will come in not only bring in capital, they will also bring in human capital, management, access to market and so on, and which are also important for the country development. I am a little bit reluctant, more cautious about the portfolio investment, capital inflow. Not only the portfolio capital inflow does not bring in other factors I mentioned, management, entrepreneurship, access to market. In general, if a developing country, especially a developing country, if they have a very dynamic process of growth for a certain time, in that kind of situation, they open up the capital market. They may attract so many portfolio investment, but they do not go into the real sectors. They go into the equity market they go into the real estate market and can cause the bubble in the equity market and real estate market. They can also push the appreciation of their currency and to encounter the trouble of Dutch disease. And because portfolio investment is breakthrough, for those, once you have the Dutch disease, your real sector performance started to deteriorate, they will flow out so quickly. And of uh, course, the bubble in the real estate in equity market to collapse. And uh, not only so, sometimes even turning into some kind of currency crisis. And that's what we observed in the 1998, 1997 in East Asian economy. So for this kind of portfolio capital inflow, I'm quite concerned. Thank you. We'll take another f- um, three questions. Let me just see. will
0: look- I mean, there's so many. I mean, I have to to say that this is going to be quite random or we'll be here at breakfast time. All right, lady at the front. Let's have a microphone down here.
2: Hi, I'm Becky Chin from UCL. Um, My question is kind of related to the um, capsule openness one. Um, In this, as you've rightly pointed out, that... um, time of development matters for any industry. And so in this current tide of um, financial liberalisation, um, what do you think the um, large multinational banks coming into developing countries, especially for example China, as we've seen in the past year, um, what do you think um, that will, if, how do you think that would affect the formation of financial structures in developing countries and especially China?
0: Yeah. Yes, Lady in front of you.
2: Hello. Uh, my questions relating to large and small banks. Um, I would like to know when you're talking about small banks, what do you mean in terms of the size of the banks, in terms of the capital or the clients that the banks will approach? And you also mentioned about developing countries should focus on like encouraging more small banks. Um, in, in in this sense, is also, a problem with the government' abilities to regulate the small banks as well, and especially
1: in small countries like, for example, Vietnam, the numbers of entre- uh, small businesses are quite limited. Like they are in the process of encouraging
2: entrepreneurship, but the demands for investing in like small banks
0: are very limited, and people just use bank as personal savings. So, how you overcome this problem? Okay, very okay, that then we'll come down here in a moment. Hi. Uh, thank you for your wonderful lecture. My name is Olga Galenka. I'm MBA from the University of Michigan. I have a question regarding currency uh, in China. Currently, currency is, uh, I mean, China is implementing the initiative to internationalize its currency, and how do you think it will affect Chinese financial structure, if it will affect it at all? Thank you. Thank okay. You. We, we the last question. We didn't, we didn't quite hear your last question, so do you want to give us a brief summary? Okay. Uh, China is implementing uh, internationalization of its currency. Do you think it will affect the financial structure of uh, Chinese banks
1: at all? Thank you. Thank you. But
0: there will be one more round, mm-hmm. I think, after this, and we'll com- I promise you mm-hmm. down here we will come to you.
1: Okay. I think that, uh, regarding now you have the multinational banks, and uh, enter into the developing country. Certainly, multinational banks, when they enter into the developing country, they are large bank, And they will provide large, you know, borrow. And this kind of multilateral, uh, multinational banks, when you enter, they compete with national large banks. And I agree that competition is good. However, what I say is that you need to allow the large bank to enter, but at the same time, you also need to allow the small bank to enter. But if you look into the policy in the developing country today, because they favor large banks, so they welcome the multinational bank to enter. But in general, they repress the entry of their local small bank. That's the issue. So, answer your question. And the second one, in countries like Vietnam, and at this stage, is, you know, it's low income, and uh, the firm is small, do they have enough capital to develop small banks? Well, that requires only a capital requirement for opening up a bank. Recently, I've Law PDR, never to Vietnam. And uh, in the past, before I went, they were advised to set up the banking sectors. But the minimum requirement for setting up a bank in Lao is 15 million U.S. dollars. Compared to a country with income of five or 600 U.S. dollars, this 15 million U.S. dollars is too big but suppose you know the capital requirement down to let's say two million US dollars, five million US dollars. Then I'm sure even in law they will have enough people has those, have those kind of capital to enter banking sectors. That's one thing. And they got the second thing regarding the regulation. Well, if you have a lot of local banks, certainly you need to decentralize the bank regulation you cannot centralize the regulation in the capital. And so whether you have the ability to regulate it also depends on your regulation system. And so that's the reason why I argue we cannot apply one size fits all that bother two to the developed country and developing country. The developing country for large bank, their regulation certainly they can take the budget to as a reference. But because they also need to develop small banks they need to have some kind of different regulation framework for those small banks. And uh, regarding the, you know, the exchange rate and so on, certainly that is also a controversial issue. You know, currently, the exchange rate in China, if China appreciates a lot, in the short run, certainly will reduce the export. And currently, you know, the exporting sector already under the pressure. If China appreciates the currency a lot, then the exporting sector is going to encounter more of the bankruptcy, and you're going to create more of this uh, 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 unemployment issue. However, I think exchange rate management may not so much be related to the financial structure issue, as I argue, because what I argue is from the real side. At this stage of development in China, if you have a right financial structure, then certainly the local small and medium-sized bank will be more developed. And of which can serve more of this small and medium-sized enterprises. And then can they can create more jobs. And if they can create more jobs, more people will be in the inform- informal sectors. And uh, that sector is the most competitive because they are consistent with China's competitive advantages so that sector will be competitive create more jobs and the wage rate will increase if wage rate increases then people in China will demand more domestic consumption so that will contribute to this imbalance in China so I look at the issue from the real side and uh, and that will also contribute to the less of the current account surplus and may reduce now the controversy about the China exchange rate.
0: Let's take a final three questions from the, floor, from the ground floor as it were. Okay, gentlemen in the back, let's hand up and then we'll come over here. Yeah.
1: Uh, you've mentioned a couple of times now um, the importance that the developing world has a different regulatory framework to the developed world perhaps and that Basel 2 uh, is not the, the sort of right framework at the moment for the developing countries. Uh, I was wondering if you had any ideas about what policy making body would be the right sort of uh, venue for, for, for a new
2: regulatory framework to be developed. Thank you. Yeah, the gentleman here. Your thinking seems to be, um, uh, my name is Jean-Paul Faguer of the Development Studies Institute. Your th- thinking is, is obviously led by the, the, the rise of Asia for many understandable reasons. Um, most countries in Latin America and Africa are arguably not abundant in capital or labor but rather natural resources which can be proxied by land and economic model I wonder what sort of strategy for
0: development you might recommend to them and what sort of financial structure yeah, and, and finally the, was it two of you who had your hands up or is it he's just, just okay gentleman in the middle there
1: Dr. Lee welcome to LSE um, my question is kind of a personal one when you swim across the Taiwan Strait,
2: what were you thinking? What were you thinking at the time that you were swimming? Uh, I got no political affiliation at all.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Welcome.
0: Uh, and perhaps I could just toss in a final thought. Although that's, that, I, I think everyone will want to know the answer to this question. Uh, Can I just ask you about the the global financial crisis for a moment? I mean, does it bear on your argument in any way? Because the argument has been in some senses that for developed countries, financial markets and large banks are key to the efficient allocation of capital. But we clearly see that in developed countries as well, the extensive development of financial markets and excessively concentrated large banks can also be a key to the corrupt allocation mm. of capital. I mean that in the, not in just in the, in the narrow sense of corruption but in the broader sense of the inefficient allocation yeah. of resources. So I wonder whether there's a tipping point in your argument. Do you want to reach a certain scale and the financial markets and large banking sectors become so powerful that eventually they become inefficient allocations of capital themselves
2: mm.
0: and the regulatory challenge becomes much more complex than anyone has imagined for a long time until the last little period. Thank you.
1: Okay, very good. For the first one, in terms of regulation framework for the small banks, how to do that? I think it is a very good research topic. And I think that might be worth tens of millions of dollars of research topics. And I do encourage people in you, you know, in LSE to take up this question. <laughs> <laughs> And the second one regarding in the natural resources rich country, what kind of financial structure will be favorable? We know that the exploitation of natural resources in mining in general is some kind of enclave. They are very capital intensive. And for those kind of enclave type, point type of resources, it's very capital intensive. So the way to raise the capital I think is international capital market either international banks or international equity market or to invite foreign direct investment to bring the capital because in a long term country you cannot have a financial structure just to serve a few firms to be an equity market you need to have enough number of firms to be listed to make the market efficient and uh, if you want to have a big banks you also need to have enough customers to serve you know you cannot have a big bank just to serve one or two firms right? so for this kind of resources exploitation I would recommend maybe they can tap into the international capital market that's one thing and secondly in a resources rich country the mining sector's in general provide only a very limited number of employment. For example, I just recently visited Papua New Guinea. The population in Papua New Guinea is 6.5 million. And currently the most important industry is the copper. And I went to one firm called Okitedi. That firm contributed 80% of their export, about you know, 40 to 50 percent of their government fiscal revenue and about 20 to 30 percent of their GDP. But how many workers that firm employed? 2,000. Only 2,000. But they have 6.5 million population. And the rest of the population are mostly in the subsistence agriculture. And how to help them to move from subsistence agriculture to non-agriculture? You need to develop those kind of more labour intensive operations small firms. So again, in a resources rich country, I think their financial structure also should follow my recommendation. In early stage, they have to facilitate the migration of the farmers from subsistence agricultural sectors into the non agricultural sectors. In general, in early stage, it will still be small, medium sized firm. So they need to have a small, medium sized local bank regarding in 1979 in the evening of May 16th what I have in mind keep floating <laughs> don't get sunk and regarding this current you know, the financial crisis and you do see the big bank so big, too big to fail and you see the political captures and so the bigger the better certainly that's a very good research topic also uh-huh. maybe I think that uh, you, know, you have economy scales but once you reach certain stage it becomes economy, this economy scale so there may be some balance certainly compared to the low income country the banking sectors in the developed countries should be much bigger than a low income country but it's not necessarily the bigger the better and in the past for a certain period of time we thought it's the bigger the better and certainly that may not be true
0: Well, it just remains for me to turn you around and to, you know, to take your very modest statement and to thank you very much. Thank you very much. (laughs)